Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. For the past seven weeks of this Easter season, we've had here in the sanctuary this lit Easter candle. And if you haven't been coming here to the grotto, I presume your home parishes have also had their own Easter candle lit at every single Mass and important liturgical ceremony. And it's so important that even when we had the Mass outdoors in the grotto cave way down there, the good sisters here and the other other member on the faculty here, they went through the effort of bringing it all the way down there to the cave because we didn't want to have a Mass during the Easter season without this candle. And the reason why it's so important for us during this time of the year is because this is a symbol of the risen Christ. That very flickering flame which is before our eyes is a symbol of the liveliness of Christ. He is alive just like this flame is alive. And it symbolizes Christ. And so when we do incense in the Mass, you might have seen this before, the priest, he's going to incense very few things. He incenses the altar. He incenses also the the crucifix. But during the Easter season, he's also incensing this candle because this candle is a representation of Christ. There was a pillar in the Old Testament that led the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt through the desert into the Promised Land. They didn't have GPS. They had the pillar of cloud during the day and a cloud of fi- and a pillar of fire at night that led them from the place of slavery and sin into the Promised Land of Israel. Christ is the new pillar that leads us from slavery to sin into the promised land of heaven. But now, today, we're actually going to be removing this Easter candle from our sanctuaries. So when you go to church next week on Trinity Sunday, you will not see the Easter candle at any church. It'll show up again for baptisms and for funerals. But other than that, it is not going to be lit anew until the coming year. Now, this does not mean that Christ is leaving us. That's not what the symbolism is supposed to um, convey. Because we still have another candle. We have, at all of our tabernacles, this little red flickering light reminding us of that presence of Christ. So he has not left. And on top of that, this day of Pentecost is supposed to be a reminder that there is a new candle which ought to be lit. A candle which is, in a sense, within us all. So that the candle of Christ's light and liveliness is not simply restrained and confined to the boundaries of this church, but rather is now something which can go beyond the walls of the church. As you think about it, on the day of Pentecost, how did the Holy Spirit manifest himself? Like, how did he show up? Tongues of fire. It was fire. It was flame. In the Old Testament, 50 days after the Jews left the land of Egypt... The Lord God descended upon Mount Sinai in the form of fire. He enveloped an entire mountain in fire to symbolize his presence there. And at that moment, he gave the Jewish people the law, the Ten Commandments and other regulations they were to follow through the entire Old Testament. You fast forward perhaps 1,200 years to the time of Christ, and 50 days after Christ celebrated the Passover for the final time, the Holy Spirit descends in fire to give the new law unto all the community of Christ's followers. God in the Old Testament manifested himself by fire. God in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit manifests himself by fire to give us this law. 
And when that day occurred, when the fire of the Holy Spirit came down upon the community, there were about 120 believers, and they all could have fit into a single room. And it was not a room as big as this, so there probably wasn't a lot of social distancing going on in that room either. And in that moment there, as small as it would be, as small as that group is, was, it went on to become, as it is today, the greatest, the most numerous religion, faith, on the face of the earth. And that's something incredible, especially when you consider what Christianity has to offer. It doesn't seem as if this is going to be exactly a great kind of product to market. My brother, before he got to the seminary, was in marketing, and he would, always, he would always be telling me how we should be trying to present the faith and sell the faith and you know, like invite other people to join from a more secular point of view. But from a secular point of view, the faith has very little to offer. When we think about what Jesus Christ promised those people that became Christians, Jesus Christ said that they will be persecuted just like he was persecuted. They will have to take up their cross on a daily basis. They will have to control those natural impulses to excessive power and sexual pleasure and money. They will have to actively and generously serve their neighbors and love and forgive their enemies, like the people that have hurt us, the people that have betrayed us. So if following Jesus Christ entails climbing such a narrow and steep path, why is it the most numerous faith on the face of the earth? Why do so many people join up with it? Because when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost into the souls of the disciples, he did not come to teach them a new philosophy, a new theoretical way of life. The Holy Spirit descended to give them a new life. In that moment, the seed of divine life was planted within the souls of all those disciples. And that seed grew and bore fruit and was then planted in the souls of others. And then in those other people, it grew and it bore fruit and it planted, was planted in other souls. So on. Because the faith is meant to be spread. In 1620, when the Mayflower crossed the Atlantic Ocean with some of the first colonists for the New World, there were no dandelions in America. But in Europe, they had been using dandelions for medicine, for tea, for soups, for salads, for centuries. And so one of the colonists had a couple seeds of dandelions in his pocket. In the year 1671, 51 years later, eyewitnesses report that there were dandelions everywhere. It had begun with a few simple seeds, and then it spread to cover the entire continent almost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended and he planted the seeds of divine life in a very small group of people, and it has since spread to cover the entire world, because you can find the faith blossoming everywhere in the world. Now, it is true that you look around today, and especially if you consider stats, you might uh, find certain places where it doesn't seem like there's a lot of divine life. It doesn't seem like there is much flourishing of the faith in different parts of the world. Maybe even our families. We're the only people practicing our faith in our families. Or if we look at the laws that are being passed in the, by the government, it seems like they're more and more aggressively trying to uh, remove the faith from the public sphere. Or the educational system, which is continuously continuously more often pushing an ideological agenda upon the students that participate in its education. And so St. Patrick felt himself in a similar situation one time, where it seemed as if all hope was lost. 
when he was an old man, after he had spent 20 years evangelizing the Irish, he had a dream, Celtic legend, Celtic legend tells us. And in this dream of Patrick, Jesus Christ brings him up a high mountain during the night. And he invites Patrick to look down into the valley below. And in the valley below, he sees all these little flickering lights, these flames. And he realizes that these flames, they stand for the faith of the people that he has brought to Jesus Christ in those 20 years of evangelizing. And of course, he's very comforted by this sight. And so he smiles and he looks over at Jesus Christ who's at his side. But Jesus Christ is not smiling. Jesus Christ instead points down to the valley, inviting Patrick to look again. And in that valley, the flames begin to disappear, to be extinguished, one by one, very quickly, until the entire valley is once again immersed in darkness. Distraught, Patrick falls down to the ground and he begins to weep because he fears that this symbolizes that the faith will be lost in in this land of Ireland. But once again, there is a strong arm that reaches down and lifts Patrick up, and then a finger which once again points to the valley, inviting him to look. And there in the valley, there was one flame that was not extinguished, one single light that he hadn't noticed before. And then from that single light, there emerged another flame. And then from that light emerged another flame. And then the process continued until, once again, the valley was entirely lit up, ablaze, even more so than before, with these flames symbolizing the faith of people that Patrick had brought to belief. Because wherever there is a single Christian that holds true to the faith, there is always that possibility that it can expand and grow and spread. And even if there is only one flame alive, it means that the darkness has not yet completely conquered. And so if we see ourselves in a distressing situation, maybe in our place of employment or our families, and we're the only ones that seem to care at all about Jesus Christ, about the supernatural life, about heaven, about sin, about the good of our neighbors, we are invited to be that single flame from which another flame can emerge. But how do we go about doing that? Like, how is the process actually looking a concrete way of actually spreading flames from one soul to another? Because if you hold a lighter up to somebody else, they're not exactly going to appreciate it. We have to go about strengthening that flame which is in our own souls. We have to fortify the faith that we possess already. Because a fire which burns hotter can more easily spread itself. A match will very rarely set burn a house down. But if there's a fireplace that is roaring, that has a much greater capacity to spread itself. So most importantly, we have to make sure that He, Christ, is at the center of our lives. Because there are many of us even here who have let the flame in our lives weaken or even completely extinguish itself by living mediocre lives, by living in such a way that we profess to believe in Jesus Christ but don't actually act as if that means anything. We go to church on Sundays even, but we don't allow anything different to happen in the course of our week. We say we are a Christian and we live like a pagan. Maybe not always, but maybe 90% of the time. So we need to make sure that the faith is at the front and center of our lives if we're going to actually spread it. And we can do this in two ways, two very basic things that we need to do in order to, in order to maintain that flame. First of all, we have to make sure that we are praying. 
prayer is for the soul what oxygen is for fire. You take oxygen away from a flame, it will flicker and die out. You take prayer away from a Christian, his faith will flicker and die out. And that's why it's so great that we have a place like the grotto to come. This is a place that invites us to pray. A place that invites us to connect to God, to lift up our hearts to him. We don't have all these statues here just because they're pretty. This is not like a nice park with a lot of photo opportunities. The statues are meant to remind us of those heavenly friends that are waiting to talk to us, whom we can call upon in our moments of need. And so today, at some point here in the grotto, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody in heaven, whether it be to Jesus Christ, whether it be to his blessed mother, whether it be to your patron saint. But don't allow this to simply be a visit to a pretty outdoor location. And the other thing that we should do is making sure that confession is a regular part of our spiritual lives. Because when this candle sometimes burns for a while, there's this excess wax that builds up and it eventually begins to consume the wick, like the wax will actually raise and level. And so the wick is unable to burn because there's just so much excess wax there. And so the good sacristans, they come up with the knives and they cut it away in order that that flame might burn. In our lives, excess wax builds up through sin. Confession is how we cut it away so that the flame can burn more brightly. And even if it's been a while since you went to confession, I remember one time when I was a kid, I forgot the act of contrition. I was terrified that I couldn't go to confession now because what happens when the confession ends? What am I going to say? And so my parents, first of all, they gave me an act of contrition to get over that. And they also reminded me that you don't actually need to know anything to go to confession. So long as you show up to confession, regretting what you did, disposed to actually say what you did, and resolved to not do it again, that's enough. And it doesn't matter what you did, because it is the power of God that is absolving you there. And nothing is unforgivable by God. In these ways, we can become those, these Easter candles alive in the world that can spread the faith. So we ask the Blessed Virgin Mary today as we gather at her feet, praying that she might always instill in us that great docility to the Holy Spirit, that openness to always do whatever it is that he is asking us to do, so that we too might experience, to a certain extent, that overshadowing of the Holy Spirit that came upon her the day of the Annunciation.